preach anymore. Thank you. Please pray with me. Holy God, we come before you this second week of Advent, ready for a word from this text from you. Be with us in the interpretation of this text, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So Time Magazine declared the Silence Breakers their Person of the Year for 2017. These Silence Breakers are the people who joined the now familiar hashtag MeToo movement, a social media form of confession, call out, and solidarity among survivors of assault and harassment. The hashtag MeToo has millions of users now to date since it, its explosion, October 15th, and has been translated into multiple languages. Many assume that white celebrities like Alyssa Milano began this movement when she shared a photo of the hashtag on Twitter, or that Ashley Judd began this movement when she went on record with the harassment she experienced from Harvey Weinstein. But it was a social activist named Tarana Burke who did this over 10 years ago. She started using this hashtag as part of her approach to building solidarity among young people, young survivors of assault and harassment. They would have a safe place to tell their stories and receive support from one another. But what these celebrities did brought to the forefront what immigrants and working class women and sexual minorities and women of color and other vulnerable populations suffer every day in silence. The pain and fear and humiliation and as we come to the story of Gabriel visiting Mary today, we are entering what paintings and movies and stories try to capture as this idyllic scene in scripture. And yet I could not help but see the faces of all of these silence breakers in Mary's face. Mary is a young, in-class family betrothed to a man with a good job. Mary also is a second-class member of a social system that oppresses her people because she is a minority and a member of a colonized community, the Jews. She is not only a Galilean, she doesn't have citizenship. She has no rights unless her father or betrothed advocate for her. Mary has a silence to break too. But before she can do that, she needs to say yes when the odds are against her from the start. God needs Mary to believe that nothing is impossible and have faith. And God needs our yes, too, in order to bring about this upside-down kingdom that will transform everything. In Mary's day, there was no Twitter or hashtag movement or Time magazine. There was no way to call out people for what they had done and create a movement of millions in only a few months. Instead, we have an angel visitation and Mary breaking out in prophecy later in this chapter, which would have been her version of a hashtag movement. And what makes this visit with the angel so compelling, so honest, is that Mary takes her time before she says yes. But interestingly, this story starts out with no name for Mary at all. It starts out with the angel Gabriel, sent to her hometown, Nazareth, 
starts out with her fiance's name and his family background. So even the introduction of her story is full of men. And finally, we get to her. And Gabriel says, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Mary had no idea what was going on. She was confused and possibly afraid. And this angel comes into her house and tells her she is favored and the Lord is with her. If you were Mary and everyone made decisions for you, including whom you would marry and what kind of skills you could learn, whether or not you could learn to read or learn a trade, would you feel very favored? Would you feel like the Lord is with you? And then the angel continues, do not be afraid. The classic line that every angel seems to know, that even Jesus says to his disciples when they freak out. And Gabriel then repeats what he said before in a new way. You have found favor with God. Mary, a blip in the Roman scene, has found favor with God. Yes, and not only that, God will give her the Son of the Most High, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary still was not buying it. She pushes back again, asking, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel then explains one of the most mysterious moments in the Gospels using perplexing language, phrases like, come upon you and overshadow you to describe how it is possible for this pregnancy to even take place. And finally, the news that truly convinces Mary. The moment she has faith when faith is hard, the angel tells her, that her cousin Elizabeth had something miraculous happen to her too. Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And finally Mary says, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now in other ancient mythologies, when gods and humans have children, usually the gods do so without asking for permission regardless of whether it's a man or a woman. So this pops up a lot in Greco-Roman mythology. So let's take Zeus for a brief moment, because that would have been something that was talked about in Mary's culture. Okay, so Zeus, in just this is just three encounters. He pretended to be a woman to sleep with someone else, pretended to be a satyr and got someone pregnant, and then he pretended to be a golden shower and got someone pregnant. I don't know. And do you know what all these have in common besides not giving any of these people permission. They also promote this non-consensual, do whatever you want if you're a god kind of behavior, where the people have no personhood and no choice. So the gods can do whatever they want with people in these stories. And that is what makes this conception story, this beautiful story of Christ so different and so culture shifting. Because the Gospel of Luke was written in a culture seeped in stories like these, in the Roman Empire based around conquest and domination. And a few weeks ago, I talked about the Roman approach to ruling other nations. You might remember I told you about a statue they often would use of the male Roman Empire standing over the female nations that they had conquered. They would put that statue in different colonies as a way to remind the people who really had the power and who didn't. And so you see the angel that visits Mary is up to something different. And this God is a different kind of God than the ones that people worship in Roman culture. The angel knows that Mary walks by images like this on her way to the market, 
images that are meant to terrify her and her family into submission. She's heard the stories of what Roman soldiers do, and she knows how to avoid their attention. The angel knows that Mary has no voice, that she is a second-class citizen of a second-class nation. And the angel knows that Mary is already afraid and silenced and oppressed. And he tells her twice that she is favored, and not only favored, but highly favored. Everything around her is meant to convince her otherwise, and yet this angel of the Lord comes to her and says, Greetings, highly favored one, and yet again, you have found favor with God. And we find it so hard to believe that God needs us, and God values our personhood so much that God waits for our consent. Mary models this human response so well in her dialogue with Gabriel because she does not say yes right away. She must have the angel greet her twice and explain the situation and prove it can happen to someone else before she finally has enough faith to say yes. Mary has faith when that is so hard for her to do and says yes to something impossible. God reminds us of, of our belovedness every time. Every time when things seem like they really can't be true. And when everything around us tells us otherwise. God comes to us and says, you are my favored one. You have found favor with me. Now, we might not have the angel Gabriel visit us and ask us to bear the Son of God in the midst of socio-political chaos like Mary did, not in a literal way. Yet there will come a time, and perhaps it already has for you, where God will come to you, whether in the form of an angel or a hashtag movement or a conversation at school or at work or with your neighbors. There will come a time when we each will have an enunciation moment in our lives where God reminds us who we are and asks us to be part of something much bigger than us, to be part of that upside-down kingdom of God in a deep way. And that something may seem entirely impossible, but that does not mean that it is. And this is not to say that God forces impossible tasks upon us. God is not like the Greco-Roman myths or Roman emperors forcing our involvement or terrifying us into submission. God comes to us and asks, this is what can be in store for you. Will you say yes? God waits for Mary to say yes before the Holy Spirit conceives Jesus within her. Mary's full verbal consent must happen. And she is not only committing to giving birth to this child, but to all that comes with it. The angel warns her that she will give birth to a baby who will sit on the throne of their ancestor David and will reign forever. She's about to give birth to the Messiah, the one who comes to bring this upside-down kingdom and change everything. I think of the silence breakers again in that magazine article, some who were silent for over 20 years, some who speak out for years and no one listens because of their social location, or lack of influence, some who stay anonymous out of the fear of losing the job they need to support their family or themselves. And then a movement like this hashtag MeToo movement spreads due to the celebrity social platform and things happen. 
Cinema moguls are fired, CEOs resign, politicians are held accountable, icons lose face, and criminal charges are brought. And the Time reporters write, saying, this moment is born of a very real and potent sense of unrest. This reckoning appears to have sprung up overnight, but it has actually been simmering for years, for decades, for centuries. And Time's poll results are telling. 82% of respondents said that women are more likely to speak out now about harassment since the allegations came forward. Like Mary, these survivors had to believe in their belovedness in order to speak out. They had to be resilient enough to withstand the shame and blame that culture heaped on them and believing that speaking out was worth it. Mary knew that it was her time to have faith. Mary had faith against the odds, knowing what it would cost her in a society that already treated her like she wasn't a person. Mary had faith when she knew it might mean possibly losing everything her family wanted for her. And she might even lose Joseph and the quiet life of a carpenter's wife. Mary did the unthinkable and said yes. Now this is not to say that if you don't participate in a movement like hashtag me too that your story isn't valid or that it should be some kind of pressure to share your story because that's not really a faithful way to respond either. It doesn't mean that everyone has to do it. I think there are often like surges of movements like this and it can feel as if, well, if I'm not sharing my story, then maybe I'm not brave enough or maybe I'm not bold enough or maybe I'm not enough of something or I'm too much of something and my story will scare people away. But I want to say that I have a story too, but I chose not to share it on social media because that's not the platform that works for me. I was sexually assaulted when I was a freshman in college, and I did not believe that anyone would believe me or that it was acceptable in Christian culture to tell my story because there's so much shame wrapped around it, even more so when you are a Christian, which seems so backwards, but that's a very different sermon. In this kind of world, I didn't feel like it was possible for me to ever find some kind of place in ministry, and then suddenly God was calling me to be a pastor. And I thought, oh no, you must want someone else. I can't be the one that you are calling to be a pastor. Because if anyone ever knows my story, they don't want me in the pulpit talking about what happened to me, because that's just too much. But I believe that we have to tell our stories and that none of us are ever too much. And so I embrace that invitation to go to seminary and to tell my story and to learn to live in a braver way. Because I believe that's what we're really called to each day. I believe that Mary does this so beautifully when she says yes to something impossible. Mary says yes to something that no one will believe is true that everyone will blame her for in her society, and yet she does it anyway. She says yes to the impossibility of giving birth to this baby Jesus, to moving forward in a culture that will only try to condemn her, and as Alan said last week so well, will either kill her or shun her from society. Mary didn't have very many options. And I believe that she was brave enough to take that risk. 
And when we move in that kind of faith, when faith is hard and it doesn't feel real, when the question God is asking us to step into is terrifying, I hope you will believe that God will meet you there, whether you're ready to answer that question or not. Because God will be there waiting for you when you are. May you have faith when faith is hard. Alan spoke so well last week of having hope when hope is hard. And that beautiful metaphor of waiting for a third door when you don't feel like there is one. And Joseph needed God to show him a third option because he could not see another way. He couldn't see another way forward with Mary or in his own future. And today you will see that we continue with another door, but now it's our turn. It's our turn to come to the door and to answer a question because it is about us responding to God. You'll find a little slip of paper on your seat with a question written on it. And the question says, what do you need to believe the knock is for you? So during this time, I invite you to take a few minutes to think about this question and to write down your thoughts on the little flower. And when you're done, you can take that and put it in the basket up here. <laughs>